Hello boys and girls. Welcome to this episode of Seeking Satya podcast. My guest today is Shiv Gaglani. He's the co-founder and CEO of Osmosis, a medical education company. I've invited him here on the podcast to talk about Osmosis, uh, how he conceived the idea and built it up uh, to where it is today. Hey Shiv, welcome. Thanks for having me, Madhav. Uh, awesome. I wanted to find a lot about your, uh, you know, current company, how you launched it and how you're building it up and all that. But uh, before we go there, could you spend just a couple of minutes on your childhood? Uh, where did you grow up and uh, what were your initial years growing up? Yeah, happy to. Um, so I, uh, I was born in Namibia in sub-Saharan Africa. And my dad is a retired general practice physician and my mom is a physical therapist. And they had moved from India um, where my sister was born and they were born uh, to go to Africa to practice. Um, and then they moved us from Namibia to South Africa right outside of Durban for a couple of years. Um, and then, uh, then we moved to Florida uh, because there was a large uh, need for physical therapists. And my mom, uh, being one, saw it as a great opportunity for her children to um, take the next step in terms of their education. So it was continued westward migration. And so I grew up in Florida between um, 1995 and 2006, finished high school there uh, in an uh, area of the state called Cape Canaveral, which is where the shuttles take off. Um, that's why my area code is 321, 321 <laughs> liftoff. Um, and then I went to college in Boston, went to Harvard, did an engineering degree, uh, took a year off after I finished that before going to medical school, which is where I started the company Osmosis. So your mom was a physical therapist and that probably had some influence on you uh, and your current initiatives. But I know you had done a few others before you launched your current company, Osmosis. Like, could you share a lesson or two from the other projects that you've done, like smartphone, uh, physical patient promise? I've seen this, I think, quantified care and med gadget, if I'm not mistaken. Those are all initiatives that you had started or you're part of, I guess, right? Yeah, so uh, I like the word that you use projects um, because they really were just projects. I mean, there's a, a lot of students who have great ideas and, and, and then wind up starting something. Uh, they get maybe they do a tech incubator or they win a hackathon and um, they start something up. And really, Osmosis is the only company that I've done. It's the only company I've co-founded and been part of that, that really went from being project to company. Um, you know, uh, the, the theme be between all of the stuff that I've learned is um, passion. Like basically what, what my, one of my business school professors said was, Shiv, you don't, you don't get paid for starting something. You get paid for finishing it, mm-hmm. right? That it takes full commitment to be able to take something from conception to uh, fruition. And we're still on a journey at osmosis. But some of the other things we had dabbled with, like the smartphone physical, which became quantified care, really shaped my worldview on what's possible in digital health. Um, and I'm really glad we did them. But I think the, the one theme I've learned is that you have to be able to focus on, on one thing in order to be exceptional at it and then, and then grow it to the stage where we feel we are right now with osmosis. Yeah, I heard you. I think I have heard you in one of the other podcasts. Uh, you talked about you don't make things uh, you, or you don't make an impact by starting things, but by finishing things. Uh, I really wanted to spend a minute or two on that because that's one of the problems that I've myself faced. And I've also seen a few of my friends face that, which is like, uh, maybe it's the shiny object syndrome or whatever you want to call it. But how, how do you really get that kind of conviction to say, this is the one and this is the one I'm going to go after and I'm going to see it through? Yeah, so I will caveat it by saying it's really important to know when to quit something, right? When to when it's not going to go further. 
um, just because you don't want to, it's like the sunk cost fallacy a lot of people take. Um, And I think the biggest thing for me, like osmosis didn't, it didn't feel like, oh, I have to stick it through. Um, It just was the one major thing I kept doing that was just fun. Like, I mean, it's been a really different journey and there's definitely been hard days and hard hard months even. Um, But overall, the trend has been up and to the right. And uh, we feel like we're making an impact and it's kind of fed on itself. And at some point you get to what Jim Collins says is either the um, um, a flywheel effect where things will, you know, keep, keep turning. And even without much more energy, there's like a momentum. Um, And we certainly feel that with osmosis or a doom loop, which is where, you know, things you keep trying to push it and like it keeps hitting walls. And there's only so many times something can hit a wall before you break through. But generally I think we start a podcast and um, something you and I were talking about before the show, they give the illusion of um, overnight successes. Uh, and generally, there's no such thing as an overnight success. Uh, there's that joke that it's an overnight success 10 years in the making. Yes, right. In making, right? Uh, so if you had to describe osmosis, for example, to a six-year-old, I was thinking about it. Is it like a Khan Academy for medical professionals or is that completely off? It's funny you mentioned that because our team, uh, before they joined us, uh, started Khan Academy Health and Medicine. And so uh, that's our, our chief medical officer, Dr. Rishi Desai, was the head of Khan Academy Health and Medicine. Um, however, if I was describing it to a six-year-old, basically what I would say is that we want to help as many people take care of other people as possible. So we train medical, medical nursing day professionals, but we also have a lot of patients and family members who consume our content because um, the vision of the company is everyone who cares for someone will learn by osmosis. So if you have children, you have parents, they have bodies, you have a body, you care about them as people. Yeah. And so we have content that'll help you care for them better. Anyone like caregiver per se, or is it anyone who cares about being healthy? Really anyone. I mean, so we have a lot of content and nutrition that people okay. consume just for themselves. Um, we had a comment this week from a, patient, a person who has preeclampsia um, and she sent that video to her father um, to understand her preeclampsia. Um, that's definitely the, it's not our business model. That's just our value add to the world. Um, the business model really is the end to end training we do for, uh, medical nursing and PA students in schools. Um, but as we keep growing we're and get, get a bigger and bigger audience, that's, um, the goal is to be able to, uh, to reach as many people who care for other people. Got it. How big is osmosis? And like, when did it start? And as you said, flywheel, right? I'm sure it was not like you didn't start like yesterday. How big is it? How have you grown steadily over the years? Yeah, so I divided into three phases. Phase one was the student phase. Um, So the project phase. 2012 is when we officially started the company. Um, Mostly, the only reason we made it a company and it wasn't a project was we got a small grant and we needed to have a bank account to put the money in, right? So (laughs) then we're like, okay, now we need a name for this thing. And so um, that was the student phase, still medical students at Hopkins. I went to business school then in Boston. And so uh, the first four years were really just kind of hacking things together. We went, we did get a couple thousand users. We started getting tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of revenue from that, but it still felt like a project because we were, we didn't accept much outside funding. We did a tech incubator, but it wasn't like a, a massive seed or a series A. Then when I finished business school and we're still working on the project, um, I was like, well, now it's time to be full-time. We have more people. We have five full-time people working on this, including my co-founder. Let's actually think about making this much bigger. 
no, no reason to finish, like go back and finish med school right away. So phase two was when I brought on the team that used to run Khan Academy health and medicine. And so then we realized, okay, we need a little more money to do this. Cause if we want to totally virtualize medical school at our rate, it's going to take us like five to seven years to build all that content. So let's think about, you know, maybe getting some external funding to build content faster. Um, and the first money in were my business school professors followed by some pretty impressive list of medical angel investors who then got us into some venture funds like Raycroft. Um, so that was phase two, which was platform project meets content starting to really grow quickly. Um, last year we crossed a million YouTube subscribers and that was a big milestone for us. Um, and we crossed, you know, uh, we went into the seven figure revenue, uh, uh, phase, and then last year, we, the ambitions grew. Like I'd like to say we had this vision for osmosis from the beginning. Like that's a narrative fallacy that often people talk about. But really, as we kept showing what we could do, like I didn't, we didn't know that this stuff would be appealing to patients when we started building it. It was only when we started releasing it on YouTube where we're like, oh, wow, like a bunch of our 10 to 15% of our comments are from patients and family members. So we've hit upon this like really interesting uh, content engine. And so we started getting a little more ambitious. And then last year did the series A, which is project catapulted this into this next category, which is how do we go from just being a supplement training healthcare workers for curriculum and tests into being primary and work with the hundred schools we now sell to, to like build end to end programs to get people into meaningful jobs. So we've entered into a much bigger, more ambitious phase, um, phase now. Got it. And, and the, just to take a step back on that, I mean, you packed a lot into it. And just to talk about the initial struggles, like the MVP, the minimum viable product, people talk about a lot. But if you had to just share a couple of thoughts on how did you build that initial one? Because it's sort of like a chicken and egg. I'm sure you were not video professionals or content professionals or any of that sort. But you needed the content to get people and you needed, I guess, people to pay for it so you can actually produce high quality content. How did that happen? Yeah, so the first MVP was just basically um, our medical classmates at Hopkins were using it. So we had uh, a lot of empathy with the end user because we were the end user. We were trying to solve our own problem. Um, and so that was where we went from building like a really, like as Rita Hoffman says, you, you got to be ashamed of your first MVP, right. otherwise it's not an MVP. So a really shameful um, <laughs> like platform uh, to, to crowdsource questions and flashcards. And then we realized, okay, we need good, better content to go from a couple thousand users to tens or hundreds of thousands or now millions of users. Um, and so the first couple of videos at Osmosis were also kind of janky and shameful. Um, but our video production team like solved a lot of the kinks. We built internal software to improve it. Um, and we really listened to the customers. So we, one reason we put it on YouTube in such a public forum was so we could get as many comments as we did that helped us refine it. So one comment specifically led to us adding uh, recaps at the end of every video, which has been super popular for us. And it's led to a lot of, uh, you know, um, SEO improvement, search engine optimization, because yeah. now we have these recaps for every video too. Right. And YouTube has always been part of your strategy from day one in terms of getting people and distributing. For content. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. yeah, that's top of the funnel for us. And so many people are looking up things on YouTube and Google. Um, and so that's where we started really building a lot of our traction. Why did you choose to do it this way as opposed to being part of an existing 
um, Coursera or one of those big platforms like that, Udemy or Udacity? Yeah, um, one was the uh, our ability to create our own platform. Like a lot of those platforms are meant for general courses. Um, medical education is different in that uh, we wanted to build a, a platform and experience that was unique to health professionals. One example is whenever we update our content, everyone who's ever consumed that content gets an update, right? Because if you're a physician or you're a medical student who learned with osmosis and you learned about cystic fibrosis, the guidelines for cystic fibrosis treatment change, right? Like that's the nature of medicine. New diseases like COVID come out. Um, and so you have to update your knowledge. Coursera and Udacity, we know those guys well. They're actually part of my own podcast. I've interviewed them. But um, they, um, they're really general purpose courses in, in domains that may not change as much or they have different requirements. Whereas for us, it's like very important for us to have that relationship with the uh, end professional and update that user over time as, as the knowledge changes. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I think uh, going through this journey, I want to touch on the, uh, I guess, the emotional aspect of it is like, are you, I mean, you put your MD on hold, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> was that a surprise to your friend's family? How, how is it that you're able to go through this? Are you afraid of failing uh, and giving up on this amazing MD path? What is the deal there? Yeah, it's funny. Um, you know, my, I mentioned my mom's a physical therapist, my dad's a doctor, my sister's a dentist. So I'm sort of the black sheep <laughs> in that. I'm the only one who, who went the entrepreneurship route. Um, actually, my sister's an entrepreneur. She and her husband wow. started a bunch of dental clinics. So, you know, it, it was de-risked. It was one year off to do the tech incubator. And then I went to business school. And then by that point, it was just so clear that we were so passionate about the scale we had reached and the potential ahead that I just kept being able to defer medical school. And so the, the optionality is there, but my parents have always known this about me that I'm like one thing, one reason entrepreneurship is so exciting to me is it's a great way to dissociate your time from your impact. Um, right? Like as a health professional, you're fairly limited in that you can see one patient every 10 minutes or 20 minutes. But as you know, this having built a website that reaches people in 170 plus countries, Right. Like you're sleeping and people are using something you created. Um, yeah. That's really cool. And so um, I, I haven't ruled out going back to med school, but right now I really enjoy what I do with osmosis. <laughs> uh, yeah, I keep hearing you saying this. I mean, it's so empowering, which is like um, building uh, that flywheel, the momentum in small steps. And uh, you might have a lot of dark moments. Uh, you might be afraid. It's not like you're not afraid that you might actually fail any dark moments? I mean, anything that was like a darkest moment or teacher of some sorts that um, you can share with the audience in your journey so far? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I mean, a couple. Realizing that the core strategy wasn't working and we needed a content strategy was pretty, pretty important. Um, it was tough to admit that we were wrong. Like our bet was that building just the product, the platform, and then having people put their own content on it would be sufficient. But we were wrong and that's why we had to kind of swallow that uh, embarrassment and like bring on the team that ran Khan Academy and build up content. Um, the, I like to analogize like building a company like climbing a mountain range. Like we are really um, excited about the mountain we're on but things get harder. Um, so they don't just get easier and there are a lot of things that you miss about it. So like my co-founder and I have a lot more people between us like working yeah. on things. 
Um, and that's important to scale, but like, because we weren't meeting weekly, our relationship was degrading a bit. Uh, and this is somebody who was my best man at my wedding. And, um, but it got to the point of like, just really like, why are we like, why is our relationship? So it doesn't feel like the old days when we were just hacking yeah. together. Yeah. So we're pretty dark having to just confront that and saying, look, if we continue down the path we're on, we're going to be one of those countless stories of co-founders or brothers, like the Ambani brothers right. who like just can't even speak to each other anymore. <laughs> so we had like our own intervention and like have reset our agreement and expectations and are you know really in good, good spirits now again. Um, but that was getting pretty dark. Um, and it's the natural, like human emotional side of building a company. That happens very naturally, right? Because as you said, like as you grew the team, the distance, I think is just a natural thing. And um, you said you confronted it with the co-founder and try to make things right. Um, I, I wonder if uh, how many people actually take that because it's a little bit scary, I guess, to have that kind of a conversation. Um, taking, uh, shifting gears a little bit, looking into the future. I know that you're doing um, a lot of video and I've actually done videos. I was working at NBC Universal before my job uh, at Dell right now. And producing content, producing high quality video is super hard. It takes a lot of time, a lot of creativity and talent. And I think machine learning can actually help a lot also in this space. I was wondering if you were thinking about it in that angle at all or not, like in terms of how you can use machine learning to maybe recommend the right clips from these videos to right people or whatever. Uh, is, is machine learning part of your strategy and how is it uh, being implemented? Yeah, it has been. Um, actually, from the beginning, it was where we, we met, I mentioned we had a platform, we have a platform where you can upload your own content, including your own PowerPoints, PDFs, and, um, and uh, Word documents. And Osmosis has an algorithm, it's a very common ML algorithm called TFIDF, that will automatically index the words in each of those documents that are uploaded. And it's used for search, but it's also used for content recommendations. So we've been doing that actually for like for years, but moving forward, actually a good friend of mine from business school is a product manager at Amazon for uh, AWS Predict, um, which worked with Coursera and Netflix on the predictive tools. Um, so um, we're very interested in being able to recommend more content as well as search, right? So instead of having to watch the, even a seven minute video, which is pretty short, yeah. you could maybe search for and watch like just the 30 seconds that you need in the video, something already kind of being trialed by Google but uh, definitely something we're interested in osmosis. Cool. And um, just on the futuristic side of things, what is your moonshot for osmosis? Like, where do you see this? If you wake up five years from now uh, in a new world, where do you think you want to see osmosis to be? So um, we, uh, the vision again is everyone who cares for someone will learn by osmosis. And the big hairy audacious goal is by 2025, 1 billion people will have learned by osmosis. So about 10% of the world by then, which means it isn't a billion doctors, it's a billion people because we'll have um, uh, our content in electronic health records and waiting rooms like they already are. Uh, we'll have training programs for certified nurse assistants um, who then go on to help countless other patients and people. Um, really, we are just trying to create a world where people are more capable of caring. Phys like right now, that's like the actual process of caring. How do you place an IV? How do you treat somebody who has uh, dementia? Um, those are like literal ways to care, but then in general, we're trying to also, um, help people be more caring. Um, so 
we have a whole concept, like whole curriculum on empathy training. Um, one of our core six values, two of them, one is start with the heart. The other is spread joy. Um, so we're a very values and mission driven company. Yeah, that actually was going to be my next question, but I guess, how are we, how are you being useful to the world? I guess you're really helping people, uh, become better caregivers in, in whichever situation they may be family or professionals. Um, just a yeah. quick few rapid fire questions. You don't have to answer them fast, but, uh, any a book particularly that comes to your mind that you've gifted a lot or recommended to people? I, I like Ben Horowitz books, uh, hard thing about hard things. And most recently uh, what you do is who you are. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Um, then, yeah, those are, I've read the hard things book. It's awesome. Uh, and I love their blog as well. A to Z, uh, a 16 Z blog, of course. Um, and uh, one piece of advice that you would give yourself knowing what you know now uh, to your teenage self, sorry. I think just don't, um, don't be in a rush. Like things, things work out just as long as it's like the whole Louis Pasteur quote that chance favors a prepared mind. So just spend your time being prepared and don't be in a rush. Perfect. So just don't be in a rush, be patient, but also, uh, going back to your earlier point, you also need to know when you want to give up, I guess uh, it's a fine balance, but don't be in a rush. It's really awesome. Uh, one truth you believe in that nobody else believes in quote unquote, nobody else. Uh, I guess this is a Peter Thiel thing, but I mean, really like if you're trying to disrupt and create the next massive company, I guess you got to believe in something that most people don't think is a big deal. Right? Yeah. I think, I think humans are essential, right? Like everything is going automation, like, and, and virtual. Um, I and mean, we are a virtual company. We're distributed. We do online learning, but I still think the humans are essential. And I think, that's the bet we're taking by trying to create a more caring world because tons of other education companies are trying to get people to build, you know, mobile apps and the next yeah. autonomous cars, which will disrupt millions of people's jobs, which is fine. But I think human to human connection and care, the like caring is the essence moving forward. Um, so I think that's, that's the big bet we're taking that there'll be this counter counter movement where people realize that they still want human connection in a world of auto, automation and robots. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then lastly, if you had a chance to write something on a full moon that the world can see, what would you write? I think our value at Osmosis, the first one, start with the heart. Start with the heart? Yeah. Awesome. Nice. Great way to end that. Thanks a lot, Shiv. And I um, wish you the best. I hope to have a chance to talk to you again. Uh, Thank you very much, Madhav. So good. good meeting you. Thanks for having me on.